You are listening to Homicide Worldwide. Your hosts, Sally and Keto, would like to remind our listeners the episodes deal with crimes that are graphic in nature and may not be suitable for all listeners. Listener discretion is strongly advised. really put a spotlight on one simple word for me, choice. Each day from the moment we wake up until the moment we lay our weary heads on our pillow is made of an endless sea of choices. In most life situations, choice is something as available to us as air, and many times it is as involuntary as breath or your heartbeat. Sure, you might not choose to be last in line at the grocery store or stuck behind the old woman buying cat food, powdered milk, and vodka, who's arguing with the cashier over her expired coupons, and you may not be able to choose who your boss is or getting stuck behind a caravan of semis in traffic on your commute to work, but we do get to choose many other, far more impactful things. Most importantly, our behavior and actions, or reactions as it were, particularly as to how they affect others. These days, with choices being taken away from us left and right, and you can assume whatever you like from that, we must make what we choose count. It's the micro choices that lead to major things, the ones which leave us bearing the responsibility of everyone's fate. Take for example, the choice to go out and party. Most of us have been there before. Yes, even us, because believe it or not, Sally and I were young once too. But it's about the choices that come after last call when we are messy or maybe a little cross-faded. Maybe you're missing a heel to your shoe or your press on nails are somehow numbering only nine. Your lipstick is all over your face and your weave fell out half a block ago. Those rough nights generally mean that you take an Uber home and that you end up with a monster hangover and your friends have some pretty good blackmail photos. Maybe you made poor choices around knowing when to say when, but in the grand scheme of it all, you did great where it really counted. But the flip side to that shining example is when your inhibitions are gone and the idea of something going horribly wrong for you seems preposterous. When you don't call an Uber or a cab or a friend and that hangover that you would have had otherwise seems like a Hawaiian vacation compared to the shitstorm stemming from one really bad choice. The events that took place in order for Gregory Biggs to find himself at the same place at the same time as Shantae Jawan Mallard in October of 2001 were to say the very least a series of unfortunate events. But they were all a domino effect which began by choices that were made along the way many years before their worlds literally and figuratively collided on that night choices that nobody could have ever predicted would lead to his death and her spending the majority of her good years in the beautiful Gatesville, Texas prison. To get to the end of Gregory Biggs' life, it all had to start with one metaphoric domino falling. That piece fell because of a choice he made. It wasn't good or bad necessarily, but from there, the next piece fell, and the next, until there was nothing left. For Shantae, the night of October 26, 2001, became a mushroom cloud of nightmarish choices. Not one of them was good, and all of them left Gregory dead. This is episode 82 of Homicide Worldwide.
Good evening and a fine how do you do, madam. Thank you very much. And one to you right back at you. <laughs> if you're just joining us, my name is Sally. I'm one of your co-hosts here at Homicide Worldwide. And I am Kita, your other co-host. Together we are Homicide Worldwide. We're together and separate. Wait, what was it in the beginning of COVID? Together but apart or apart but together? That's us. That's right. We're trying to like put the best possible spin on it. But yeah. Yes. That's where Far apart but never apart. Weird, huh? <laughs> That's oh, yes. Well, if you haven't been here before, welcome to Homicide Worldwide. We are glad to have you. We hope you enjoy our show this evening. If you are returning, we appreciate you for coming back and putting up with us. Voluntarily. I know, by your own choice. And weren't we just talking about that? We're going to have a lot of conversations about choices tonight. And also, if you are being forced to listen to this podcast against your will. <laughs> like a waterboarding, but it's a podcast boarding. <laughs> you know, I just, I hope that you get out of that situation ASAP. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 Good luck with that. Yeah. yeah good luck with that. What I have to say. <laughs> if you haven't already, give us a follow over on Twitter at HWWP10 and Instagram at Homicide Worldwide Podcast and Homicide Worldwide Podcast Production. And you can look through the archives of our many uh, inconsistent posts. And you can find us over on Patreon, where you can donate to our cause. Mm -hmm. And it's literally a donation, because we have no time to offer you bonus content just yet. But we are working on it. We're working on it. So stick around. Alms for the poor! <laughs> exactly. I feel like one of those, like, Santa Claus during the holidays, just with the bell. Nobody ever gives to it, and that's like our Patreon. You're, like, hungover and reeking a booze. Yeah, that's, it. that's how we are. Hungover Santa hungover in an ill-fitting suit. It's always too big. Mrs. Claus, all belligerent. <laughs> ah, donate. I have like an extra large flask of a Manhattan. Hey, fuck you. I know you got a penny or two in that bag. Ah, <laughs> uh, choices. Well, before we get into the nitty gritty of this episode, let's give you a little overview so you know what we're working with. In this episode's shining example of humankind at its finest, may we present for your consideration Shantae Mallard of Fort Worth, Texas, who in October 2001 made the conscious decision to do the following. Leaves a bar drunk and high, gets in her car, drives drunk, hits one Gregory Biggs, who gets lodged in the jagged windshield of her car, mm. drives not to the hospital, but home parks the car in her garage with the bleeding man still lodged half in, half out of the car, closes the door to the garage, goes inside, washes her hands, and waits for him to bleed to death. You'll be glad to hear that Shantae Mallard didn't get away with it. In fact, she's still in prison. But this case begs the question, when does an accident become a murder? And the answer hinges on one thing only, a choice. I have the answer right here. It has everything to do with uh, when you choose to leave a dying man in your windshield. That's when it becomes murder. That is exactly the moment mm -hmm. when you close the door, turn out the light. Good night. Maybe I'll see you in the morning or not. Or not. Dyson. <laughs> that's that's exactly, exactly how I how imagine it was. this going. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. First, like to talk about who was Greg Biggs. 
It was late October of 2001. If you know your historical dates, you'll notice that September 11th, that awful day, had happened just weeks earlier. Gregory Biggs was living on the streets at the time of his murder. He was a decent person who had mental health challenges and some very, very, very bad luck. The story arc of Greg Biggs' life is a reminder that the solid feeling of the ground under your feet can be yanked away by the hands of fate. Greg Biggs was a self-employed mason by trade, also known as a bricklayer. It's physically demanding and precise work that requires years of apprenticeship to know exactly how to do it correctly. Bricklaying is one of those professions in which your finished product is not only just out there for everyone to see, it's also a permanent testament to your skills. Greg was good enough at his job to be self-employed, which meant that he needed a reliable truck in which to keep his tools. Greg had bought a truck a few years earlier and still had some payments to make on it. He also had a mortgage on a home. His job allowed him to cover both bills. As well as the rigors of his job, Greg Biggs had another less visible challenge. He'd been diagnosed with schizophrenia and bipolar disorder, also called BPD for short. However, Greg was able to live a fairly balanced life by taking his prescribed medications. It's worth noting at this point that both these mental conditions are hugely misunderstood and mischaracterized by the public and in the media. The human brain is the most complicated thing that we know of in nature, and the more complicated something is, the more opportunities there are for things to go haywire. As our understanding of, quote, mental illness, quote, grows, and the available treatments become more sophisticated, it's giving people a chance to live an independent life in which they can thrive. On the flip side, if you're a person with these brain conditions and you aren't able to take your medication for some reason, the symptoms of schizophrenia and BPD will reappear. Those symptoms make navigating this insane world that we have made for ourselves more and more difficult. If symptoms progress, it can be difficult to discern what's real from what's not real. Greg Biggs wanted what we all want. Stability, prosperity, and connection. He was said to be a good human by the people who knew him. Greg had been in a relationship some years earlier, and though the relationship had ended, it resulted in the birth of a son named Brandon, who is Greg's only child. Greg stayed in contact with Brandon, who lived with his mother. A few years before he became homeless, Greg started a new relationship. Unfortunately, his new girlfriend came with some money problems, and so Greg, because he was a good guy, agreed to loan her some cash to help her get back on her feet. But as it happens, when we loan money to loved ones, Greg's girlfriend was unable to pay him back. The events that followed were kind of a slow-moving financial train wreck that shows just how easily things can go wrong. And if you think that this kind of thing is rare, consider that in a 2019 study, remember that's pre-COVID, the before times, only 40% of Americans had enough money saved up to cover an unexpected $1,000 bill. Many people are in this precarious gray zone between getting by and just losing it all. The first domino fell when Greg's loan to his girlfriend created a cash shortfall, and he couldn't make the monthly payments on his truck. Pretty soon, his truck was repossessed due to non-payment of his vehicle loan. Greg was now without his primary form of transportation, with no way to move around the heavy tools of a bricklayer. Being self-employed... This meant that his income soon dried up completely, but it just got worse from there. 
You might remember that Greg Biggs had a mortgage as well, and it turns out that the bank expects timely payments on that too. Without regular income, Greg defaulted on his mortgage, and the bank foreclosed on his home. Now he was in massive debt without transportation or a home, and he wasn't able to regularly afford his medications. The symptoms of schizophrenia and BPD that Greg's meds had kept at bay began to reappear. Greg had found a new job as a bus driver in an attempt to rebuild his life, but his unmedicated mental health challenges made it hard for him to maintain a regular routine. Greg became ashamed and embarrassed by his situation, and he began to isolate himself from his loved ones. Greg's son lost touch with his father sometime around July of 2001, just three months before his father's death. His mom later recounted that Greg was trying to turn his life around. Quote, he was on an upswing. He was getting back to a good life, end quote, is what she said. From July until Greg's death on October 26, 2001, he was forced to live without a permanent home. We don't know all the details of how he lived, but we know he spent some time living in a Fort Worth homeless shelter. And we know his life led to him walking along a sparsely traveled six-lane highway at 3 a.m. that morning. Greg Biggs had been dealt a lot of shitty hands in his life, but perhaps the shittiest was only moments away. He didn't deserve to die the way that he did, alone, in terror, in physical agony, with his pleas for help ignored. Which brings us to the real shithead of the story, Shantae Mallard. I would give Shantae zero out of five stars. I'm going to give her one star for a very sincere courtroom apology. Mm. That's it. That's what she gets. Yeah, I don't know. I just feel like a big thumbs down for me. Yeah, maybe not having to apologize for killing the dude in the first place. Yeah, I mean, great. You can apologize. Awesome. Guess you can't, Greg. Because you killed him, Shantae. Yeah, you let him bleed to death. On Thursday, October 25, 2001, a 25-year-old nurse assistant named Shantae Mallard arrived at a friend's house to pregame it for the big night out. Alcohol, ecstasy, and the devil's lettuce got the party started right. From there, they headed to a nightclub where they drank some more. By the time 3 a.m. rolled around, Shantae was hammered drunk, and she was in no state to drive. It was now early morning on Friday, October 26, 2001, in Fort Worth, Texas. At around 3 a.m., Shantae exited the nightclub and tottered toward her parked car, with her veins all full of booze and the devil's broccoli and the devil's caffeine, Shantae knew that she wasn't safe to drive. She knew it. Mm -hmm. She was aware enough to know. Because you, you know, right? You fucking know. You know. When you get in the car and you can't quite tell where shit is and everything's kind of swimming a little bit and you know your judgment's impaired. Yeah, and you're like, I'm covering one eye and I'm still seeing double. Right? It's not great. Not great. Well, she had the mental wherewithal to buckle her seatbelt. Mm-hmm. And... She drove her Chevy Cavalier toward the six-lane highway where Gregory Biggs was walking. Shantae was doing pretty well for a drunken lawbreaker. She hadn't hit anybody or rammed any parked cars so far. She was less than a mile away from her home when, on the highway, she somehow slammed into Greg Biggs. We don't know the exact details of how the accident occurred. Maybe he wandered into traffic. Maybe she wandered off the road. 
No matter, their lives intersected horribly. In an instant, Greg was flipped up onto the hood of Shantae's car, erupting headfirst through the glass windshield in an explosion of glass and blood. The shock of this moment, with Greg Biggs smashing partway into the car, caused Shantae to pull over immediately. Recognizing that the man was stuck, Shantae got out of the car and walked around to the passenger side, trying to dislodge the barely conscious and horribly injured Greg from where he was stuck on the jagged glass of the remaining windshield. He wouldn't budge. At this point, Shantae was aware of several things. That she's a loser. (laughs) There's that. She knew that the man was still alive. She was a trained medical professional. She didn't have like a doctorate, but she had enough medical skills to be able to help at this point. And she knew he was alive. He was kind of moving a little and moaning and she could see he was alive. Yeah. She also knew that she was legally at fault given that she was driving under the influence. She knew that there would probably be no way for her to avoid likely imprisonment if Greg's injuries could be in any way connected to her. And so at this moment... Shantae made a choice. I really don't believe her choice was an intent to murder at this point. And although her choice was heinous, I can certainly understand her panic. It probably wouldn't have been my choice, but you know what? I'm not in her shoes. Here's what she did next. Shantae got back in her car, likely covered in Greg's blood. There weren't many cars on the road. As we said, 9-11 had just happened and everyone was still kind of hunkered down. CCTV was still growing, and the eye of surveillance was still half shut. One video still of her car was later found once police knew what to look for. It showed legs flailing out of Shantae's smashed windshield, but they wouldn't know what to look for until four months later. But it's still October 26th, and Shantae knows that culpability is enormous. So she drives home parks her car in the garage with Greg Biggs still bleeding out in the windshield and presses the remote to close the garage door behind her. She sat in her car and cried, with Greg moaning and bleeding next to her, his head down in the passenger footwell, almost to the floorboards of the car. At this moment, Greg Biggs was still alive and conscious. He was badly injured, but not gravely injured at that point. If only his wounds had been quickly tended to. And here's a nurse's aide, someone with the medical skills needed to save Greg's life. But self-preservation is a powerful thing. So Shantae turned out the light in the garage. She closed the interior door that led into her house and decided that she would just wait for Gregory Biggs to die. It took several hours for Greg to die, according to a post-mortem examination after his body was found. And more on that in a little bit. Shantae would return to the garage every so often to see if Greg was dead, or if he still had a little kick left in him. Oh, fuck you, Shantae! Mm-hmm. She later confessed that she apologized to Greg, but she never made any attempt to help him. Greg's like ha- halfway out the car. It's okay. I understand. Don't worry about it, man. It's cool. No. It's okay. Yeah. No, you don't say you're sorry? No. <laughs> so this horribly injured man continued to bleed from his many wounds in horrible pain, getting weaker and weaker. Finally, he slipped into unconsciousness, and not long after that, Greg Biggs died. Shantae's experience with trying to dislodge Greg's body from the windshield showed her that she needed help if she was going to get away with what had crossed over from accident to homicide. As daybreak dawned, with Greg having gasped his last breaths inside her Chevy Cavalier, 
Chante developed a plan. Chante must have ended her previous relationship on really good terms because her ex was very willing to come to her aid. The first person she recruited to help her was Cleet Daniel Jackson, an ex-boyfriend. In later testimony, Cleet said that Chante called him saying that she had hit a guy and he was stuck in her car and she needed his help. Cleet didn't know what to expect when he arrived at Chante's house. She was almost hysterical seemingly still affected by the ecstasy hit from the night before. They talked about what to do, with Chante suggesting that they should just burn Greg's body when he died. Cleet recounted in court, quote, I said, we ain't gonna burn nobody. We're gonna put him somewhere so his family can find him, so they can bury him, because it was an accident, end quote. Wasn't that a double negative? And isn't ain't not a word? (laughs) All these things are true. Well, Cleet realized after visiting and looking at the body that he needed more help moving Greg's body than Shantae could provide. And she was still kind of a little bit crazy from the ecstasy. She was really very quite hysterical. Tripping balls. Tripping those balls. And I can imagine that if you're already kind of a little strung out on drugs that Her experience this evening probably really amped her up and put her over the edge into like just full on. She was not really with it, is my understanding. Yeah, probably not. So Cleet realized he needed some help. So he called his cousin, Herbert Tyrone Cleveland, which is an epically good name. That is a great name, actually. A lot of presidents there. I think at least two. Herbert (laughs) and Cleveland. Yes. I definitely feel like I'm going to give Herbert Tyrone Cleveland... Four stars on the name. Yeah, man. I'm knocking off one star for his actions. I think that's pretty reasonable. Yeah. It's a pretty damn baller name, man. It's, yeah. Put it this way. It's a name that deserved more than than what it got. Yeah. That's okay. It was a strong name to start and it finished real bad. Real weak. Weak on the finish. Mm-hmm. Well, they agreed to meet that evening at Shantae's home to kind of decide what to do and if needed to move the body under the cover of darkness. Cleet later testified that he laid a blanket on the garage floor. And that before he moved Gregory, he apologized to his dead body. A little too late, but okay. (laughs) And then he and his cousin worked together to extract the body of Greg Biggs from the car, and then they laid it on the blanket. Then together they hefted Greg's body into Herbert's car. I mean, everybody's apologizing to poor Greg. Everyone's (laughs) sorry for things that were preventable. Yeah. Stop apologizing and just take action and do the right fucking thing. That way you don't have to apologize. Yeah, how much is it to ask? You can apologize when he's like, you know what, I have a limp, but I'm alive. And you can be like, I'm really sorry that I did that to you. Right. There was plenty of room here to do the right thing. Yeah. I mean, here's the thing. If you know that you're going to get hit with a charge, even if you aren't motivated by the tiniest shred of human decency, you can make yourself look much more sympathetic to a jury if you stop, you render every possible aid, you flag down passing cars, you call 911. You give him mouth to mouth, you know, you give the chest compressions, you do the whole thing to try to save his life, to show that you are taking responsibility for your actions. A lot of juries will look very favorably on those kinds of actions. So even from a very callous perspective, looking at this crime, the best thing for her to do, as well as the most ethical thing for her to do, would have been to help him. And I mean, even if she did get charged with a crime, like driving under the influence she probably would have gotten a reduced sentence based on 
her following actions if she'd done the right thing. All of these were choices that could have not been made. Right, exactly. But it's a lesson, and you don't evade your responsibility. Cleet and Herbert then drove in Herbert's car to Cobb Park in Fort Worth, again in Texas, where they dumped Greg Biggs's body. His remains were discovered the next day on Saturday, October 27, 2001. An investigation was immediately begun, but there were almost no leads to go on. Back at the ranch, it was time to dispose of the evidence. The three now co-conspirators decided to try to burn the seats of that Chevy Cavalier. And this did not work so well in terms of destroying evidence because the inside of the vehicle still had significant blood evidence. They didn't know how else to get rid of the vehicle and all of the damning evidence within it. Shantae's undrivable car stayed in the garage. Meanwhile, the investigation into Greg Biggs' death had already cleaned some facts. Greg wasn't wearing his shoes or socks at the time, and his injuries were consistent with a hit and run. But it's a big city, and without any good leads, the investigation went cold. It was evident from the post-mortem examination that Greg Biggs had not died where he was found. There was little blood near his body at the park, and he'd lost so much of it that blood would be everywhere if he had indeed died right there. The Tarrant County Medical Examiner, Dr. Nizam Pirwani, later testified that Greg Biggs probably died about two hours after he was hit by Shantae's Chevy Cavalier, and that her trying to dislodge him and then driving home with him still lodged there further aggravated his injuries. It's a good guess. Yeah, pretty darn good guess, you think? Yeah. I can't imagine that an injured person would do well. And then tried to like jiggle them out. There's a reason that's not the posture in which people are transported to a hospital in an ambulance. <laughs> so true. Right? This is really just very safe. Greg Biggs' right arm, right thigh bone, and right shin bones were broken. And this is what Dr. Pirwani testified about in court. Greg's left leg below the knee was so severely injured that it was nearly amputated. Oh, God. And he had gouges, sort of cuts and gouges in his torso from where he'd been stuck in the windshield. It was difficult to determine how long Greg had been trapped in the car before he died. Dr. Pirwani said that Greg's head had been forced downwards in the passenger seat area, and his injuries showed that his torso had been laying on the dashboard. Dr. Pirwani, the medical examiner, said, quote, he was obviously in severe, excruciating pain, end quote. Jesus. Just a horrible fucking way to die. Horrible. Despite Greg's many injuries, the medical examiner said that Greg could have survived if he had received prompt medical attention. You know, from a trained medical professional, if only there had been one present. Greg Biggs had been in general good health before the accident. He did not suffer from any serious medical conditions, and amazingly, the crash itself did not cause any injuries to his brain, spine, heart, lungs, liver, or kidneys. That's like all of the things you need right there. Right. That's like the big seven, baby. Right. I mean, if you can keep the big seven, you can kind of go without the rest. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Several other experts testified that they thought Greg would have survived. Quote, there's not a member of the Fort Worth Fire Department that could not have saved Mr. Biggs' life, end quote, is what Captain Jim Souter 
testified. The medical examiner suggested that Greg's injuries wouldn't have prevented him from moving his hands and talking. Let's hope that he was able to tell Shantae to go fuck herself and flip her the bird before he died. At this point, unbelievably, Shantae Mallard had pretty much gotten away with letting Greg Biggs bleed to death, alone and in pain. His body had been dumped, and it had not been traced back to her, or to her accomplices, Cleet and Herbert. Shantae Mallard must have been feeling increasingly confident. With the exception of the shattered, blood-stained, half-burned Chevy Cavalier in Shantae's garage, all connections to the death of Greg Biggs seem to have faded. Which is why it's amazing that we're even talking about this case at all. And the reason we're talking about it is also why any empathy that you might feel towards Shantae Mallard is about to go right out the window. Oh, yeah. And I do kind of feel that most Chevy Cavaliers are somehow shattered, bloodstained, and half-burned. I think they come that way, don't they? I think it's just a feature. Yeah, like that's the last thing that they do before it rolls off the lot when you buy one. Is they, they, <laughs> they, they come in with a little it. pint of blood and they just like <laughs> throw it around, smash the windshield, and then it's ready for you. About four months after Greg's death, Shantae Mallard was at a party, which you would think she would probably start avoiding at this point because they never seem to get her anywhere that's good. Mm -hmm. You know, I would think too, maybe a little PTSD. Yeah, let's go to a party. The last party went so well and I only have good memories from that time. Like, wouldn't that bring something up for you, Shantae? Well, I had a 90% good time that night. So, I mean, with the exception of running over the guy and letting him die in my car window. With that small inconvenience aside, I mean, it was a, it was a pretty good night right up until then. Exactly. So, you know, yeah, I'm going to keep partying. Mm -hmm. It was at this party that Shantae was having a conversation with an acquaintance, Miranda Daniel. Miranda couldn't help but remember something strange that Shantae had said. It stuck in her mind so much that she finally called the police. Here is what she told them. She had been at a party when she'd overheard Shantae Mallard being questioned about why she wasn't driving her car anymore and what happened to it. According to Miranda, Shantae had made some concerning statements, even laughing about how, quote, I hit this white man, end quote. And the laughing, the laughing. Ha ha ha, it's so funny how I hit and killed someone. Ha ha ha. Isn't it just a fucking knee slapper, Shantae? Ha ha ha, what a cause for jest. Mm. How's that sentence treating you? I am not cool. You know, I'm not cool with this part in particular. I think so much of this you can chalk up to panic and stupid poor choices. And obviously, like, even the, mur the murder part is horrific. And obviously, she's completely responsible. But at no point in any of this are you willing to attribute sort of like active malice to her? You know, like even with the, even with letting him bleed out, it's sort of like, it's what she didn't do, you know, but this one is just like, so the laughing about it, it brings this layer of callousness. Yeah. And to follow it up with a giggle is just bad form, Shantae. Very bad form. Zero stars. Zero stars for Shantae. Mm -hmm. Yep. This was the strongest lead yet as to who was responsible for Greg Big's death. Shantae was brought in for questioning, and a search warrant allowed police to search her home for evidence. CSI Fort Worth, she was not, and evidence was pretty much everywhere. <laughs> police found Shantae's much-abused Chevy Cavalier right where she left it, in her garage. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. 
there was significant damage to the hood and the front bumper consistent with a hit and run. The entire windshield was missing and so were the front seats. Those were found later in the backyard having been torched. Not suspicious. Oh my God. Mm-hmm. Shantae. Yeah, <sighs> I know. Also, do a better job of hiding evidence. My God, this is such a half... You left the seats in the backyard. Presumably, people can see into that backyard. They're not going to be like, why did you burn the seats of your car? Where is your car? And why on earth would you keep any of that nearby? I mean, think of like just... I mean, not to be like weird about this, but like the energy around Mm -hmm. all of that stuff. and Such bad juju. You know, yes, exactly. You know, I mean, you've got this car where this poor man died in, mm-hmm. in your garage. You're not yep. going to, like, just get rid of that? Come on. you got the seats that you tried to burn in your backyard. Don't you have any friends? Come over and be like, why are the Cavalier seats out of the car and burned? And, I mean, at a very minimum, at a very minimum, wait till the cover of darkness one night when there's not many people around, drive your car out of town, take the back roads, try to avoid cops if you can, drive it to, a, like, a water-filled quarry or a river or something, and just yeah. dump it in the river. Well, it's like I've done this before. Or you could not hit the guy. You could not hit the guy. Yeah. Investigators also found a pool of dried blood that had soaked into the concrete floor in the garage. There was a lot of blood evidence on the inside and outside of that Chevy Cavalier. The amount of blood in the garage could only be explained by a death. Or, put another way, you couldn't lose that much blood and survive. Four months to the day after she hit Greg Biggs, that sweet day of our Lord, February 26th of 2002, Shantae Mallard was arrested and charged with failing to stop and render aid. And she was released on bail that same day. At this time, there didn't seem to be anything intentional about Greg's death beyond the desire to escape justice. But that was about to change. When investigators received the coroner's report describing the likely timeline of Greg's death, it indicated that there was a significant lag between the accident and when he died, and that during that interval, Chante could have given aid, but she chose not to. Intent, therefore, shifted from something accidental to something that really was intentional. With this new information, Chante Mallard was arrested again, this time on a murder charge. She was also charged with tampering with evidence. Her buddies Cleet and Herbert were arrested shortly thereafter, and each of them were charged with tampering with evidence. They both pled guilty and each received a reduced 10-year sentence in exchange for their testimony against Shantae Mallard. Everybody hates Shantae. Shantae Mallard pled guilty to tampering with evidence, but she pled not guilty to the charge of murder. Her trial began in June of 2003. Shantae stated that immediately after the accident that she panicked and was afraid of getting arrested. Hmm, that's ironic, since you're now on trial. Yeah, no shit, dude. But she says that like that is an excuse for her behavior. It's like, no shit, Anyone who this happened to would panic and they would be afraid of getting arrested. Right. And there's still a right thing to do. It doesn't excuse your behavior. No. The autopsy evidence was used by the prosecution to show that Shantae showed a callous disregard for human life as her choices directly led to Greg Biggs' agonizing death. 
The trial was very, very emotional, with Shantae at one point crying and apologizing to the family of Greg Biggs for her actions. In 2003, on the stand, Shantae said, quote, I am so sorry, Brandon. I am so sorry for what I have caused your family, and I am sorry for the pain I have put my family through. I am so sorry for the crime I've done to society. I really am very sorry, end quote. Wow. Yeah. And the award goes to? I know. How sorry are you that you got caught? Yeah, exactly. You're sorry that you got caught. Like what changed between laughing, laughing, ha, 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 I hit a guy, to now you're in court? Right. The thing that's changed is you got caught and now you have to pay for your crimes. Like that's what, that's the difference. I think that's oftentimes why people apologize the way they do. You know, maybe they feel some kind of remorse for the crime that they've done, Mm -hmm. but I think more times than not, it's because of self-pity because they're going down. You know, I'm sorry. It doesn't go that far. It really doesn't. It doesn't bring Greg back. It doesn't bring any victim back. Yeah. And for you to sit here and blow smoke up everybody's ass about how sorry you are when you left the guy in your fucking windshield, Shantae, mm-hmm. I ain't buying it. I know I'm kind of a dick that way, but honestly, mm-hmm. I just don't buy it. Yeah. I don't care if you're fucking sorry. Yeah. You're sorry that you got caught. There's times in your life where you have to step the fuck up, like mm-hmm. big, big times, like those really hard moments where it's going to cost you a lot personally, Yeah. but it's the right thing to do. And... You know, she was tested and, you know, she didn't she didn't make it. No. I mean, sometimes in life, you just have to eat the shit. And that sucks. Especially when you put it on your own fucking plate. A hundred percent. Well, Shantae's lawyers noted that she did not have any prior criminal convictions and said, quote, what she did is horrible, but she's not a horrible person, end quote. Is that true? I don't know if I would classify her 100% as a horrible person. I think that this brought out the worst possible side of her because who knows what she was like before this. Yeah. But yes, I would have to agree. She's a horrible person. Well, with a quickness that we here at Homicide Worldwide find very pleasing, (laughs) the jury took less than an hour to deliberate. Shantae Mallard was found guilty of the murder of Gregory Biggs. She was sentenced to 50 years in prison for the murder charge and 10 years for tampering with evidence. Shantae Mallard remains incarcerated and she will be eligible for parole after 25 years in 2027. It's just around the corner. It really is because the future is happening much more quickly than it's supposed to. Yeah, a hundred percent. Greg's son, Brandon Biggs, eventually publicly forgave Shantae Mallard, making him a much better person than pretty much all of us here. Mm. Brandon said, quote, I still want to extend my forgiveness to Shantae Mallard and let her know that the Mallard family is in my prayers, end quote. And this is according to the New York Times. And then he goes on. If love is what makes the world go round, compassion makes it sincere, end quote. Wow. Right? Wow, that is... Uh, that's a really incredible statement. He is a very, very forgiving person. And I have a fun fact about him that will bring a, a bit of warmth to our cold, dead listeners' hearts. So um, <laughs> you know who you are, you cold-blooded little beasties. So um, anyway. Wow. Well, you know, good on him. I always thank God forbid anything should ever happen. I just don't think I could ever find it in my heart. To just let someone bleed to death. Uh, no, I mean to forgive. <laughs> Oh, there's that too. I don't know. Yeah. 
I don't. I just don't think so. I'm not a ba- I'm. I'm not a good person like that. I have a lot of. I. I, I feel like my natural bent is towards sort of vindictiveness in general. <laughs> so any chance to be vindictive, you don't, oh, I'm gonna jump right on that. <laughs> I mean, an eye for an eye, right? A tooth for a tooth. Right. Exactly. I'm gonna go all Old Testament on their asses. Hell yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, really. Mm-hmm. Well, sweet little creepers, that ends our tale of the murder of Gregory Biggs by the dastardly Shantae Mallard. I think that we can agree that fate lent a hand in putting Greg and Shantae in the same place at the same time, but it was Shantae's choices that led directly to Greg's death. In the grown-up world, we have to take responsibility for our choices. Shantae Mallard didn't do that willingly, as she should have, so the justice system did it for her. And now that you've taken your weekly dose of Homicide Worldwide, let's turn, as we always do, to some fun facts. So, first of all, masonry. Very interesting. Gregory Biggs was a trained mason, as we mentioned. And masonry is actually one of the oldest professions in human history. Uh, Stone masonry, which is also quite charmingly called stonecraft is the creation of buildings, structures, and sculpture using stone as the primary material. So you have to get the stone out of the earth. It doesn't just give it up willingly. (laughs) And so there are many steps to extracting rock from the ground. So first of all, and these are kind of the different jobs you can have as part of the stone masonry experience. You could be a quarryman. They split sheets of rock and they extract these giant blocks of stone from the ground. Then there are sawyers who cut these rough blocks to size with diamond-tipped saws. Oh. Then there are banker masons, and they kind of have a workshop. They work in a workshop, not outside. And they specialized in working the stones into the shapes that are needed by the structure's design. Interestingly, the finished stone is mostly meant to sit in the structure in the same orientation as it was formed within the earth. Damn. So if it was sort of built up from sideways you don't want to put it downwards because that sort of weakens the structure of the rock wow yeah all of these things who knew it was so scientific i know Uh, carvers take the masonry process from craft to art and they use their artistic skills to carve stone into beautiful designs and then finally we have fixer masons who specialize in fixing the stones in place onto the buildings they often use lifting tackle like lift like pulleys and counterweights and stuff to move the stones into place And then they can use mortars, grouts, cements, mastics, resins, or even metal fixings to set the rocks where they need to go. Wow. Very highly skilled stuff. It is. I had no idea it was so involved. I Mm -hmm. always think things are so much easier than they actually are. I do too. And then I look at it and I'm like, holy crap, everything's hard. How can we actually get anything done in this world? It's amazing. I know. I mean, some of the longest lasting structures of the ancient world needed masons to build them. Because the things that last the longest are, of course, made of stone. We've got, like, the Egyptian pyramids, the Taj Mahal, the Incan Wall. My heart. At Cusco. Your heart, your cold metal heart. Like, (laughs) these huge statues on Easter Island, like, Stonehenge, all this stuff. It's good times. All I can think of with with Stonehenge is in, this is Spinal Tap, when they have it. When they have it the wrong scale and they make like miniature stone heads. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> oh my God, I need to watch that movie again. Oh, it's oh, been forever. I think I might go watch times. it later. You should. Well, you'll remember that Brandon Biggs, Greg's son, publicly forgave Shantae Mallard. 
In response to this, convicted murderers from around the country pooled their resources and they raised $10,000 as a college scholarship. And they had it presented at a ceremony to Brandon Biggs, who at the time was a 20-year-old pastoral ministry sophomore at Southwestern Assemblies of God University in Waxahachie. Isn't that a nice little story? Wow. I think that's because of how rare it is for families of murder victims to, I guess, find it within themselves to give public forgiveness. I mean, it's such a sincere and I think it was very, very moving for them to experience that. I mean, yeah, to see it happen to somebody else. Well, and if you think about, I'm not sure how much people who are convicted make. I know that there's some kind of a wage, but it's not a lot. So it would take a lot to pull together $10,000. That is a massive amount of money Mm -hmm. when you're talking pennies on the dollar. Wow. Nice story, huh? Wow. Actual real fun fact. That was a very, that was nice. We need more of that in this fucking world. We do. We do. Well, we have a couple of deaths for you, but they're fun (laughs) deaths, so that makes it good, right? We could could not end that positively. No, we certainly couldn't. No, we don't want to uplift you too much or you won't keep coming back to us. (laughs) Well, as you know, Greg Big's death was certainly unusual. So we thought that we would end with some other unusual deaths from history. Uh, first up, we have Alex Mitchell, uh, who was watching an episode of The Goodies. This is in England. And if you are from England or from the Commonwealth, you know that The Goodies was this very fun sort of comedy show. And I remember laughing to it a lot as a child. So Alex Mitchell was watching the, quote, Kung Fu Capers episode of The Goodies. And it was so funny that he laughed continuously for 25 minutes and then fell (laughs) dead on his sofa from heart failure. And this was due to what doctors later discovered via his granddaughter was a genetic condition called long QT syndrome. And that if you laugh too long when you have this syndrome, you can have a heart attack. Oh, my God. At least he died happy. I mean. Yeah. Right. I know. That's a lot to be said for that. Oh, my God. Yeah. Well, next up, we have Boris Segal, a Ukrainian-American film director who died while shooting the TV miniseries World War III in Portland, Oregon. What? What, what? Boris accidentally walked into the tail rotor blades ah, of a helicopter and was fun. Oh, my God. And was partially decapitated. Oh, this is the one that you told me about. (laughs) He died five hours later at a hospital in Portland. I don't feel like there's a lot of ways to come back from a partial decapitation. No. Five hours? Holy shit. Um, You know, I've been uh, in a helicopter twice this year. You don't No, You do not fuck around with those things. No. No, you really don't. They've got a lot of big spinny things that spin very fast and they're not going to stop for a brain. No, no, no. And they tell you, they give you very, very strict, very specific instructions. Mm-hmm. You respect that fucking whirly bird. You know, ever since watching Indiana Jones, the first one, mm-hmm. uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark, you know, when he's he's like, they just escaped from the tomb and they're on the tarmac and there's that old timey plane and the, the propellers are spinning and he's like boxing with this like, huge <laughs> yeah. dude. And the dude like w- basically walks into a propeller blade and then like there's this huge blood splatter on the ground. 
I, I saw that at just a little bit too young of an age. <laughs> it left a mark. And so, right, anytime there's any kind of propeller, like literally a fan in my house, no. I'm like, don't, don't be like touch the guy. That. Don't, you're no, going to, no, 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 you have to be, be careful. Yeah, you have That's to be spinning very, very fast. Yeah. Well, next up, we have Reginald Tucker, who was a young lawyer who was racing along a corridor in a Chicago oh. skyscraper. Now, Reginald was supposed to wear his glasses most of the time, but he was not wearing his glasses <gasps> and he was very distracted and he just went straight through a window. Oh, no, he didn't. He did. 39 stories <gasps> all the way down during an early oh, 4th God. of July party. A police said that <gasps> portions of his body were scattered oh, around the street oh. near the 41-story Prudential Building uh, in downtown Chicago. Oh, Several horrified onlookers who were attending holiday celebrations that said that they heard the glass shatter and saw Reginald Tucker fall to his death. One witness said it was, quote, like an explosion when his body hit a car at ground level. Holy shit. Yeah. I... There are so many question marks. Wear your glasses. Just wear, I mean, somebody needs to not clean that building quite so thoroughly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. Let's give a little bit of bird shit on the building to show where the edge is. But just like also, if you're supposed to wear your glasses, you should probably wear them. Oh or just look where you're going. God. Straight through the window. Bam. Just straight and out. I would think, I would have hoped that the glass would be a little stronger. I would Wouldn't hope. you think so? There's another one I didn't include about <laughs> this is awful. <laughs> I did laugh. I, you're not supposed to, but I did. Um, there was like this lawyer, and another he was on lawyer. the twenty. What's with the lawyers? Like the twenty. I know it's always. I would just love them so much. I do. I actually love. They do. They perform a very yeah, useful but, function, like decomposers in a food chain. But uh, there was the story of a guy who was on like the twenty fourth floor of a building, and it had recently been constructed, and he was trying to prove that it was safe. And someone was claiming that these like floor to wall windows would shatter if they were bumped into, they would just shatter. And he's like, they're bulletproof, they won't shatter. And so he kind of ran up and banged his shoulder into one and it did not shatter, but the whole window popped out of its frame and <gasps> he went out and so did the window and he fell to his death. Do you know that that is absolutely my nightmare? I'm Yeah, these oh, like oh. glass floors, I'm like, fuck yeah. you. No. I know no, I just said I had no. been in helicopters, but I, I'm genuinely not a big fan of heights. Like I really am. I'm not. Me either. No. I don't do well with the edges of cliffs or the edges of high places. Like the 10 feet from me to the edge just feels like I'm just being sucked towards the edge and like fate wants me to fall. <laughs> it's, it's like terrible. just pulling me down. Right. We were in Chicago many years ago and there was a building. I don't know the name of it. I cannot remember what floor it was, but it's a, literally like a little glass box that protrudes from the building and it's all all glass the floor is glass nope nope some of my family members went in it and I, I saw it and I was like oh my god oh my god oh my god and I, I just barely could get my little foot I put one little foot in there and that was it and I was like I'm not getting the rest mm -hmm. of my mm -hmm. giant body in that thing are you kidding me no I'm a hefty lass I always feel like they're gonna be like if it wasn't for that last visitor you know <laughs> But, you know, I, I feel like it's going to be me that's the clincher. It sucks. Oh, that was absolutely my thought, too. I was just like, oh, no, no, no. If I go in there, I, somehow I'm going to, like, step just the right way, and it's going to be on the one weak spot, and we're all going to plummet. Yep. You guys are going to be like... My um, hands are sweating. Part of the learning curve. Just, just thinking of it. Just thinking about it. Yeah. 
That's horrible. It's, it's definitely one of your fears. The only way that that could be worse for me is if the glass box that you mentioned was filled with water and a great white shark. <laughs> that would be a pretty big box. And a pretty sad shark. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I'd be like, whoa, I'm up really high. I'm not meant to be. I'm just a shark. Yeah. He's like, I was the one that was rejected. I'm the gentle shark. And you're like, fuck you. You're still a shark. You're still a shark. You still yeah. eat me if you go have a chance. And finally, closing the loop of fate, we have Michael Godwin, who was a 28-year-old American criminal who was convicted of murder. Godwin was initially given a death sentence by electrocution before having that sentence reduced to life imprisonment. But electrocution still managed to get Godwin in the end. He died from electrocution when he bit into wires <laughs> while attempting to fix a broken television set at the same time sitting on a metal toilet in his prison cell at the Central Correctional Institute in South Carolina. <laughs> Sorry. I know you're not meant to laugh at the misfortunes of others, but you're like you're on a metal toilet seat. He was Mike. the connection. You're on a metal toilet seat. Funny. Like at this point, like that's like in a lightning storm, taking a metal toilet seat into the middle of a field you, and sitting on your it. Your mouth is also wet. There's nothing about that, that, unless he did it on purpose. Yeah. No, it seems like he's really trying to fix it. But there's nothing sharp in your cell, right? So you can't hurt yourself or others. So you, you got your teeth, though. Maybe unplug it first. Have you tried turning it on and off again? Have you tried turning it off and on again? Anyway, I thought that would be a nice one to finish with. Oh, wow. That was a high note. We aren't always at our best when we have to make the most important decisions of our lives. The speed, the trauma, and the many moving pieces of a pivotal life event can overwhelm even the most self-possessed person. That's why it's so important to be able to fall back on your character, to guide your decisions when you're not able to trust your reasoning mind. There are moral absolutes that we learn when we are children, and then as we get older, we decide if we really do want them to apply to us. Absolutes such as, you shouldn't steal from others. You should try to do the least harm to the least number of people as you move through life. You should try to tell the truth as much as you can. You shouldn't kill others. In those moments when we're tested, when we have nothing to fall back on but our own judgment and our own character, when there's nobody around to witness our choices, when the glee or the guilt will be ours alone to deal with, it is then that we are at our most free, completely unconstrained to make a choice in our own self-interest. But if that self-interested choice is at odds with the well-being of another person, then the choice comes down to them or me. Only one of us can benefit in this situation. When Shantae Mallard was tested, she chose herself, knowing in her heart that it was the wrong thing to do. But it's easy to hurl blame from my lofty perch. What if I were tested the same way, knowing that the right choice would absolutely lead to my incarceration? Would I do the right thing? I'd like to think that I would, but until I'm tested, I don't know for sure. A lot's going to come at you in this crazy world. If you lose your head in the heat of a crappy moment, be sure that you can fall back on your character to guide you. You've been listening to Homicide Worldwide.
grow up with a lack of parental supervision? Do you know all the lyrics to the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air? Remember Merrimick Cheese and the Fry Guys? Have an inexplicable love for the California Raisins? Can you remember Madonna's original face? Then you might be a part of the Doom Generation. Laugh until you cry with us each week as we stumble blindly through the memories of the movies and other random things that doomed us to be the salty, sarcastic, sardonic ladies you want to hang with. You know us. You love us. You can't f***ing live without us. Doom Generation. Available everywhere you find podcasts. Hey everybody, I'm Dane Holland. It's a new STD, a sonic transmitted disease. <laughs> I'm Austin Shazam Pfeiffer. So it would be just a smushed mashed potato situation going on in my young adolescent crotch area. I'm Marcus Whitaker, known as I'm Electric Man. So instead of talking about how CERN is trying to open up a portal to hell and in the entire universe, I guess I'm just going to read jokes off the freaking internet. And I'm Austin Tiny Zen. Dr. Strange, he's circumcised because would you want to uncircumcised wizard? I don't think so. And if you'd like any of that to make any sense whatsoever, tune in to Nerd It Through the Grapevine, a podcast where four best friends gather weekly to talk about our favorite parts of past, present, and future nerd culture every Monday on Spotify, iTunes, and whatever your favorite app for podcast is. Come join us in the grapevine. Damn meeting is going to end in 10 minutes. Let's get cracking. That's uh, We can just stop right now. This is perfect time. I'm just about to start the overview. So let's stop and start. Okay. I will call you right back. Sweet. I, uh. I was going to do that to you. Oh, God. I've been saving it. Oh, you stole my thunder. Oh, Mr. Martin. That was a good one. <sighs> it's mm. like when Tobias has on his little shorts and he's like, do these effectively hide my thunder? Thunder. That's right. Mm. Oh, my God. Yeah, it's interesting that you mentioned dominoes in your first piece because I like I actually mention it here. How do we always do that? I know because we're synced, baby synced. Mm-hmm. Like our periods. Like just like the periods, man. Yeah. Such is the way of nature. Okay. <laughs> On Thursday, October twenty fifth, two thousand and one, a twenty five year old nurse student named Shante Mallard. Sorry, nurse assistant. What did I say? Student. Oh, help. It's okay, baby. I've given you a lot, too. No, that's okay. I'm, okay, I'm, cool. I wore eye makeup today for the first time in a really long time. <sighs> My eyes are eyes? all irritated right now. I had to take it off before. Actually, it looked good. To? Somebody was like, oh, my God, you look really good today. It's like, like you look oh. great when your face is completely covered in other liquids Thank and you. substances. Thank I you so that. much. Yeah, somebody's I, like, we oh, all look better. are you wearing makeup? It looks good. You're like, I have like four pounds of makeup on. Thank you. I do. Mm. Yes, I do look good. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. I think you look great. Oh, thanks. <clears throat> At around 3 a.m., excited. Sorry. Jesus. There should be a Shantae in there somewhere. Shantae exited. That uh, doesn't help you. Or or maybe I shouldn't say excited when it says exited. No, I would have absolutely said that too because there's literally no name in front of it to indicate that I had a <laughs> subject in that sentence at all. <clears throat> We're the best. <laughs> so good. That's why we get paid so much money for this. It's why people pay us the money that they pay us. I, I feel like the amount of money that we earn is commensurate with the quality of what we offer. Is it a ref- It's like a mirror. It's a mirror. One <laughs> reflects the other. Like like you and I reflect each other. So it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Zero dollars. <laughs> it's, okay. it's okay. It's okay. It's okay. It's early days. Okay. Go. <laughs> like you're the one holding things up and not me. Okay. Go. The shock of this moment with Greg, mother of pearl. It's just like, 
I don't even, I'm not even talking. Maybe that's it, that I'm not talking so much. And so my, my voice is like out of use because I'm used to talking all day long. Just use your throat, open your throat hole. Oh yeah. That's what I need to do. <laughs> That'll solve my problems. Just open the, your oh, throat hole and you'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking, um, Ed, little, Ed Kemper, little Ed, Ed oh. Kemper style. Oh. When, that movie, that? Little Nicky. Oh, that's you, right. Let the meat slide down your throat hole. I was thinking back to what Anna said for Jack the Ripper. Like, Hello, gonna, jelly bitch. Oh, I'm going to fuck, fuck you. your throat. <laughs> <laughs> that was so good. All right. Oh. God, Anna. Oh, I couldn't see through my microphone. <laughs> that's happened to me several like, times. What? What's the problem? <clears throat> and here's a nurse's aide. Somebody with medical... Jesus Christ. And Someone with, with the medical needed... Yeah. Skills. I would say with skills in there. That's fine. Sorry. The first person that she recruited to help her was Cleet Daniel. Mm. Cleet Daniel Jackson. Oh, God. I'm going to say that again. <laughs> <laughs> Saliva management, remember? It's just all about saliva management. Oh, Pearl. All right. Thanks for joining us tonight at Homicide Worldwide.